0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Crimopedia. I'm your host, Allison, and I wanted to give thanks today for all the support I've gotten since the launch of my show. I have received some incredible feedback, and I'm always open to hearing more from you, so keep it coming. If you like the show, feel free to go on to Apple Podcasts, which is free with every Apple device, and leave me a five-star review. Keep sharing the show with your friends, and I encourage you to interact with me whenever you can. I have my case suggestion form on my website at crimopediapod.ca, and on Instagram, I'm always responding to DMs. I also recently made the decision to upload the show to Stitcher, so you can find me on there as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Apple Music, and I'm working on availability elsewhere. You just have to let me know where you want to hear the show. Okay, everyone, I think that's all that I wanted to say before we talk about today's case, so let's jump right in. The year is 1986. Ronald Reagan was the President of the United States, and the Hands Across America campaign was taking the country by storm. Topping the Billboard 100 that year was Whitney Houston, Madonna, Janet Jackson, Eddie Murphy, Prince, and more. Pixar Animation Studios was founded and Walt Disney Pictures released its 26th animated film. The Mets won the World Series, New Zealand passed the Homosexual Law Reform Act, and Halley's Comet made its first visit to our solar system since 1910. Some of you may be able to recall where you were the day that the nuclear power plant in Chernobyl exploded in 1986, or maybe even the Challenger. If you lived in Lexington, South Carolina that year, You may or may not remember where you were the day that Jessica Gutierrez went missing. Debbie Gutierrez is an incredible woman, one driven by her own conviction, stubborn but in the best way. Her daughter, Jessica, inherited Debbie's long, dark brown hair and determination. Her other daughter, Jessica's sister, Rebecca, now a mother of two children on her own, has named one of them after her still missing sister, Jessica Gutierrez. Jessica was born on the 3rd of December in 1981 and was four and a half years old at the time she went missing on June 5th in 1986. She had brown eyes and hair just like her mother and a small scar on her upper forehead and a wart on her left hand. Jessica was only about three feet tall and weighed 32 pounds and on the night in question she was wearing a pink and white t-shirt with white undergarments and both of her ears were pierced. During the day of June 5, 1986, Jessica and her family were working outside in the yard of their mobile home in an area between Red Bank and Pelion in Lexington County, South Carolina, United States. Eleven months prior to Jessica's disappearance, her family had hired an old family friend to put up a new awning over their porch area and assemble them a new outdoor shed. The Gutierrez family had been investing some time and money into their home and loved enjoying it all together. That day, the family had enjoyed some bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches for dinner, a staple in my own family, and Deborah had painted Jessica's nails shortly before they all turned in for the night. Jessica had asked her mom to sleep with her that night in her mom's bed, as she had done the night before, but Deborah Gutierrez had to decline because her son, Jessica's older brother, had an ear infection and wasn't feeling well, and so he got prioritized to sleep with mom tonight. So instead, Jessica crawled into a double bed with her sister Rebecca and drifted off to sleep, neither of them having any idea the events that would soon take place. At some point between the hours of 11.30pm, presumably when Jessica and Rebecca fell asleep and 9am the next morning, likely when Deborah was woken up, an unidentified intruder broke into the Gutierrez mobile home. During this large stretch of time, this person had gone through a window in the living room area of the home and completely removed the screen and curtains. The intruder then went into the bedroom where Jessica and Rebecca were sleeping on a double bed together and removed Jessica from beside her sister and exited the residence out the front door, leaving it wide open. On the morning of June 6th, young Rebecca had woken up her mom, Deborah, exclaiming that she wanted cereal for breakfast. But it didn't take long for Deborah to realize that, although two of her daughters went into the bedroom together the night before, only one of them, Rebecca, had made it out. As well, upon inspection of their bedroom that they shared together, Jessica and Rebecca's room was littered with miscellaneous papers all over the floor and Deborah noticed the front door to the home was wide open and the family dog had gotten inside and was roaming around. This was unusual for the family because I presume the dog would stay outside most of the time. And so Deborah was clearly woken up to chaos. Something was very, very wrong. In interviews, Deborah recalls turning to her daughter Rebecca frantically and asking her where Jessica was, to which Rebecca replied that she didn't know. But what she did know was that a man wearing a magic hat who had a beard had come into their room late at night and taken her sister away and left, all without waking her. Rebecca said that although she was awake and was able to witness the whole thing, she was paralyzed in fear and neglected to say anything until the morning because she must have fallen back asleep. As she was such a young child at the time, it's hard to imagine how she must have been comprehending this event taking place right before her. She had single-handedly witnessed somebody come into her bedroom and take her limp sister out of her bed right beside her and leave with her and she's still missing the next morning. But Deborah knew this was very serious and so she immediately phoned the police and an investigation began. Only a few days before the abduction of Jessica Gutierrez, Deborah had broken up with her ex-boyfriend who was living with the family at the time. He was reportedly abusive and controlling and may have had an alcohol problem and so Deborah effectively kicked him out of the home. After the abduction, Deborah had called him and accused him of kidnapping Jessica, presumably working on the assumption that if it was him, then his motive would have been revenge against her but he denied being involved at all and was questioned by police and cleared relatively quickly. Jessica's biological father, David Gutierrez Ruiz, was also cleared and was living in California at the time, nowhere near South Carolina. Him and Deborah had divorced in 1983 when Jessica was only two years old and he went on to go live in Mexico City for some time, but then did return to the United States. There were some allegations that I read about that David Gutierrez Ruiz had made comments in the past about coming to get the children, but this information was only found on a few sources. Regardless, he was cleared of involvement, although I'll admit I don't exactly know how. A lot of the investigation in this case has been kept under wraps still. Technically, it's still open. Jessica has never been found. So I'm really unable to relay information about how any suspects were cleared at all because it hasn't been made public. So for now, we just have to take the police's word for it. Speaking of the Lexington County Police, the day of Jessica's disappearance would be the first of many occasions where Deborah Gutierrez was grilled by them. Their first interaction was the beginning of a very contentious relationship between Deborah and the local police department. The sheriff working the case was Sheriff Metz, who was later charged and convicted of conspiracy to harbor illegal immigrants in 2014, and was also alleged to have taken multiple bribes throughout his career, despite spearheading a campaign to deport undocumented immigrants in South Carolina. During the sentencing hearing for this conspiracy, United States Attorney Bill Nettles sentenced James Metz to 12 months and a day with two years of supervised release and a $10,000 fine. In his remarks, Attorney Nettles stated that one of the cornerstones of democracy is that citizens are able to maintain faith in a law enforcement system that carries itself with integrity and not a self-serving good old boy system. For many, these charges against Sheriff Metz were the beginning of a broken relationship between the citizens of Lexington County and the Sheriff's Department. But for Deborah Gutierrez, the lack of trust in the legal system was apparent right from the jump of Jessica's disappearance. Not two days after Jessica went missing, Deborah had an inkling and began to fear that the police's focus on her daughter's whereabouts were already dwindling and that officers were maybe being pulled off the case, and so she decided to call the department like any good mother would. In what can only be described as an incredibly animated conversation, Deborah Gutierrez pleaded for Sheriff Metz to continue searching for her baby girl, and in response, he threatens her? The full transcript to this call will be linked in the description of today's episode and you can also find it on my website in the sources, but a small excerpt of this call goes as follows. Sheriff Metz states, "'We'll give you answers when we got answers to give. "'Now you mess with me and I'll pull my people off "'and we'll go home and go to bed "'and forget about your case.'" To which Deborah replied, you mean to tell me that if I mess with you, you would pull all of your people off this case, go home and forget about my child. And Sheriff Metz states, that's right. It's unclear why Sheriff Metz had such a problem with Deborah Gutierrez right from the beginning. I mean, she's only trying to advocate for her missing four and a half year old daughter. But this conversation transcript was released in 2007, although obviously it was recorded the day of in 1986. But interestingly, it wasn't recorded or released by Deborah. It was actually the Lexington County Department that had tapped Deborah Gutierrez's phone in an attempt to be ready in case the perpetrator called her home demanding a ransom for Jessica's return. But what the Lexington County Police Department picked up instead was a small glimpse into the intensely combative relationship between Deborah and Sheriff Metz. The county solicitor at the time, Donald Myers, also did not take too kindly to Deborah's persistence to keep her daughter's case at the forefront of the police's attention. In one conversation, Myers reportedly recalled that Deborah was a squeaky wheel, but one that would not get oiled by Lexington County Police. Deborah really believes that someone in her own family or close to the family is responsible for her four-year-old daughter's disappearance. She also still holds on to the idea that her ex-boyfriend, the one she left only a few days before Jessica went missing, was also involved somehow. In particular, she has her eyes locked on the man who had installed that new awning on the Katira’s mobile home and built them a new shed only 11 months prior to Jessica’s disappearance. This man was a 27-year-old family friend at the time, one who's never been publicly named. He lived in the West End of Columbia, South Carolina, only about a 20-minute drive from the Gutierrez residence. Interestingly, only a few weeks after Jessica's abduction, this man stole a van from Lexington County and drove it to North Carolina, where he had broken into the home of a woman while she was sleeping and sexually assaulted her. After this incident and the arrest for this incident, Deborah went searching in a vehicle that belonged to him because he was a close family friend and insisted that she found fibers that were related to Jessica, although I understand the term related is quite vague and honestly, I couldn't find too much more information on this. Regardless of that, while this man was incarcerated in prison in North Carolina during 1987 for this break-and-enter and sexual assault, he had told his cellmate that he kidnapped a girl in Lexington County and buried her body in a landfill there, making specific mention of the fact that he was wearing a cowboy hat at the time. Although Rebecca, Jessica's sister who was awake beside her the night of the kidnapping, was never able to specify exactly what she meant by the perpetrator was wearing a magic hat, a cowboy hat may or may not fit that description. When I hear magic hat, I think of top hat, the tall black hats, and when I think of a cowboy hat, I think of it has like a tall top on it and I can easily see how a very young child may get the two confused depending on the shape of the brim of a cowboy hat. What would be of interest to me, and something I couldn't find any information on, was whether or not Rebecca's statement about the magic hat was considered holdback evidence at the time that the suspect gave this description to his cellmate. If you don't know, holdback evidence is a piece of information that police during an investigation will hold close to the vest, so to speak. And this is so that if a suspect happens to slip up during an interrogation or during an investigation at some point and mentions a piece of evidence that the media shouldn't know about, then they know that that person had to have been at the scene of the crime. So, I would be really interested to know if this magic hat, cowboy hat thing was known to the public at the time that this suspect told his cellmate that he had done this while wearing a cowboy hat, because if it was hold back evidence at that time, I think that puts him at the scene. Whether or not that was hold back evidence, get this. This man later offered up information about Jessica's potential whereabouts to police in exchange for full legal immunity, of course, but police rejected this deal and the matter was never pressed further, although for all intents and purposes, he is technically considered the prime suspect in Jessica Gutierrez's disappearance. Despite meeting each other briefly several months before the abduction of Jessica, Deborah's ex-boyfriend and the prime suspect deny knowing each other at all, although she does believe they are both involved somehow and does admit that yes, they did meet briefly even though the both of them still deny that. Upon the initial investigation of the Gutierrez mobile home on June 6 of 1986, police found a fingerprint on the outside of the window that led straight into the living room, the same window that the screen had been cut out of and the curtains removed. The location of this print indicated to police, as well as the FBI, that this print did come from the intruder because the intruder had to make this print to go inside. Additionally, when the print was sent in for analysis, it was found to be fresh and not weathered. Some sources you may read if you decide to do research on this case on your own will tell you that this print was in fact matched to the 27-year-old unnamed prime suspect, and some will say that it was not. But I personally found it a little bit difficult to discern whether or not police actually ran fingerprint analysis at all, and whether that involved trying to make an ID or if they were just trying to look at the physical characteristics of the print, I'm I'm not sure. If they did run forensic analysis or DNA analysis on the print, my guess would be that if the prime suspect in this case did in fact leave that print, the police may or may not have gotten a hit with him because, if you remember, he committed that break-and-enter and sexual assault weeks after Jessica's disappearance. so. If he didn't have any other charges on his record and they ran the DNA analysis or fingerprint analysis on the print that was left before he committed that crime, then he wouldn't have been in any police databases to match anything to. Now, I know that the United States does have public databases where you can access people's criminal records to where I could rule out this theory for myself. But again, this man has never been publicly named. I I don't know what his name is, and so I can't search for that kind of information. And again, it's hard to say if they even ran that type of analysis at all. From all of my research, it looked like all the police were interested in is the quality of the fingerprint. Was it weathered? When approximately was it left behind? Stuff like that. Even if we discount the fingerprint If there was one thing that Deborah Gutierrez and Sheriff Metz were able to actually agree on, it was that there was enough circumstantial evidence and maybe some physical, if you count the fibers found in this man's vehicle apparently belonging to Jessica, to move forward with an arrest. However, Prosecutor Don Myers thinks otherwise, citing a lack of evidence and stonewalling the judicial process withholding the oil from the squeaky wheel. What I personally found interesting was despite Meyer stating lack of evidence, he would end his career as a prosecutor known notoriously as one of America's top five deadliest prosecutors by securing two no-body murder convictions and a running streak of sending 28 men to death row. The point I'm trying to make here is that although Jessica Gutierrez's case technically is also a no-body case, Some of the cases involving no body have still moved forward to trial under the prosecution of Donald Myers, And so I'm not entirely sure what the difference is between the cases that were able to move forward versus this one. This four and a half year old girl was kidnapped in the middle of the night and there is forensic evidence left behind. So despite not having a body, I don't understand why the Stonewall. The prosecutor's office last reviewed the disappearance of Jessica Gutierrez in 2008, 22 years after the abduction took place, and again refused to move forward with an arrest or, frankly, even an investigation. In 2012, Deborah Gutierrez started a petition which unfortunately drew little attention, trying to get another out-of-state prosecutor to examine Jessica's case and also change the amount of time that one prosecutor is allowed to serve a single term in South Carolina. In 2015, she campaigned for another review, sending a letter to Attorney General Allen Wilson again pleading for another prosecutor to reevaluate the evidence and she is sure of who should be held accountable for the likely murder of Jessica Gutierrez. However, this attempt was only met with a statement from the spokesperson to Allen Wilson, Robert Kittle, who said that both the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division and the Lexington County Police have determined that nothing more can be done. There is not enough evidence to prove that the suspect is guilty in court beyond a reasonable doubt, and thus this suspect is a free man. He was released from that prison in North Carolina in 1997 after serving his sentence for breaking and entering and sexually assaulting that woman, and he's been free since. Despite former Sheriff Metz being reprimanded and prosecutor Donald Myers retiring in 2017, no new information has come out about the disappearance of Jessica Gutierrez despite both positions being filled. It seems that the replacements for both positions, sheriff and county prosecutor, share the same viewpoint of Jessica's case as those who preceded them. Sheriff Brian Kuhn, sworn in on April 24th of 2015, and Rick Hubbard, the new Lexington County prosecutor, seemed to both view Jessica's case the same way as Sheriff Metz and Donald Myers did. Understandably frustrated, Deborah Gutierrez knows that if any meaningful justice is going to be delivered in Jessica Gutierrez's case, then she has to take it upon herself to seek it out personally. And that is exactly what she's done, Deborah Gutierrez is always advocating, seeking information, and always missing her little girl. It has been almost 30 years since Jessica Gutierrez was kidnapped from her mobile home just out of arm's reach from her sister and her mother. As of December 11, 2010, a direct quote from Deborah's Facebook page says, "...something has got to change with our county-state law enforcement. We as citizens of Lexington County have no one that we can go to for advice or to inform other officials about the lack of concern that some law enforcement officers have. It's hell fighting a system that was designed to represent the citizens. One day, it could be you missing yours. God forbid, but if you voted for these officials into office, please take a stand and demand justice for our children. Although Deborah Gutierrez and frankly, most others do believe that Jessica is in fact deceased, Deborah still holds on hope that one day she will be able to get to see her baby again. Even if it's just in the form of closure, even just to find Jessica's body would bring this whole ordeal to an end and let Deborah Gutierrez rest. There are still many people hopeful that this case can in fact be solved by some means. If you know anything about the abduction of Jessica Gutierrez on the night of June 5th, 1986 in Lexington County, you can call the Lexington County Sheriff's Department at 1 803 785 8230. Okay, everyone, that is all from me today. I know this episode is a little bit shorter, but when I learned about Jessica's case, I couldn't help but do some research on it and I felt that it was necessary to cover. Each serial killer story and and murder story each have their own lessons to be learned at the end of them. But the best thing that we can do as creators is simply tell a story that is very much undertold. There are hardly any news media outlets that are updated anyways that discuss the case of Jessica Gutierrez. She was four and a half years old and she went missing plucked from literally her bedroom where she was sleeping. And who knows where she is today? I will be posting a picture of Jessica Gutierrez on my Instagram at the time she was taken as well as an age-progressed photo. I think these types of photos are very helpful because if Jessica Gutierrez is alive still to this day, it's possible that she was taken so young that maybe she doesn't know exactly who she is and would have no idea that she's a missing person. Thank you for listening to another episode of Crimopedia. Don't forget to follow wherever you're listening, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, because I come out with episodes twice a month and I don't want any of you to miss out on these stories that need to be heard. Again, as of now, you can also find me on Stitcher and I'm currently working on other platforms to display the podcast on so that it's accessible to more people and more people can hear these stories. And lastly, again, if you know anything about the abduction of Jessica Gutierrez, you can call the Lexington County Sheriff's Department at 1-803-785-8230. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you again for the next one.